Our text comes from Matthew chapter number 10. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 7. It says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Today in our series, Mojo, how to get your mojo back. And in light of Valentine's Day weekend, I have invited my wife, Lisa, to be with me. And we're going to share a little talk with you on love and marriage. I'm excited about it. And this really has a lot to do with getting our mojo back. Because we like to think that when it comes to home, home is a lot like Vegas. We like to think that what happens at home stays at home. Truth of the matter is, it's the furthest thing from the truth. And although we may not talk about our home problems openly and publicly, we drag what happens at home into every arena of life. It affects our performance in every arena of life. It affects our ability to focus. It affects our emotional state, our outlook, our attitude. It even affects our spiritual life. Matter of fact, the scripture plainly tells us that if our marriage is not right, that our prayers can be hindered. And so we want to talk to you about how marriage matters in getting your mojo back. But before we do, I want to give my wife a proper introduction. It's Valentine's Day weekend, though we celebrated on Friday. Now, I'm one of these guys, I like holidays to last days. Now, fellas, if you know what you were doing, you let Valentine's Day last some days, you know what I mean? And, and so, in any case, I want to tell you some of the reasons why I love her, and then a song that came to my mind when I thought about the reason. Is that all right? Okay, so the first reason why I love her is, did you know that she is 50? Yes, she robbed the cradle. <laughs> and you can't blame her. <laughs> but she's 50, and she's still fine. And so I thought of this song. But then, but then, but then, but then, after 26 years, you know, you learn every, all your spouse's imperfections. I mean, and, and after 26 years, I can honestly say that I love all of her, all her imperfections, except the ones that we already talked about. And I thought of this song. Cause all of me loves all of you, love your And then I thought to myself, you know, 26 years is a long time, and you do a lot of life together. Matter of fact, at this stage of my life, I know my wife for longer than I didn't know her. In other words, we've crossed that period of time. And, you know, life is, life is good most of the time, and, but life has some hiccups along the way. It gets painful. It gets unfair, all that kind of stuff. And oftentimes, when you go through seasons that are cloudy, you need some sunshine. And she's always been the sunshine on my cloudy day. And then I thought of this song. This is for some of you older folks. You didn't know what the first two songs were. But this is for you to get your groove on right here. Some of you, this is your Peter Vandross moment right here. And then, look at some of the older folks are like going back right now. Over 26 years, you know, um, every moment is not perfect. Marriage is, is not easy. Um, you, you do have struggles. Every marriage does. Anybody who says that they've never had any times of struggle in their marriage is just not being real because when two people come together from different worlds and all that kind of stuff, you have to straighten some things out. And uh, sometimes you don't straighten it out. Marriage begins to fail and People will come to me after being married for a long period of time and say, you know, we just don't love each other anymore. And um, after 26 years, I can honestly tell you that I love her more today than the day that I first met her. But then I thought of this song.
and then lastly, um, you know, we marry for all sorts of reasons. We'll talk about that. And, you know, attraction is one of the things that, that first kind of gets our eye when we kind of are interested in somebody. But that's not a great reason to marry somebody. Although you should never marry somebody who you think is ugly. It's just keeping it real, right? Because can I just tell you, over time, they get uglier. Okay, it's just the way that nobody retains their good looks, you know, past a certain point. But I'm going to defy that. I'm going to be the first person on earth to do it. No, just playing. But what happens is there has to be more to a relationship than just physical attraction, although that, that is important as well. And the reason why I chose her is, yes, because I found her attractive, but also because there was a spiritual beauty in her that transcends everything about her. And then I thought, of this song. Now you probably don't recognize this, but this is our wedding song. So ladies and gentlemen, I want you to welcome to the stage the love of my life, my Valentine, the best decision that I ever made outside of Jesus and the spiritual mama of this house, my wife, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you, I think. Thank you. Oh, you're supposed to give them to me. <laughs> Took them back. No takesy backsies. So that I can have some. I see. Because I'll share. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Don't you have anything nice to say about me now? I like the way your shirt matches my boots. That's it? Um, why don't you tell them some of the reasons why you love me? I'm digesting everything that you right said. There. I'm, I'm, that list right there. I'm recovering. I'm recovering from everything you just said. So you know, it's kind of sad that it's three services now. Mm-hmm. Last night I didn't ask you to do this, so basically you have an excuse for that. But for the first service I asked you to do this, you couldn't come up with a reason. Now you've had a whole two hours to think about it, and you still can't come up with a reason. Because of your wonderfulness. Weep, weep, weep. Anyway, it's good to see you all. You can sit down. Praise the Lord. By the way, somebody asked me, they said, uh, Pastor, what's up with all of the flowers? One person asked, are these representative of all the flowers that uh, you've ever got her uh, since you've been married? And the answer to that would be no, would be many more than this. But there is some significance to the flowers. There are 24 dozen roses up here, and that stands for the 24th, which is April 24th. That was our wedding day, and so that's our anniversary, so it has some significance to it. And then I got our two dozen more roses to make 26, because 24 plus 2 is 26, because we have been married for 26 years, the best 26 years of her life. Isn't that that great that I actually thought of that? Come on, ladies, that's pretty good right there. Give me some props for that. Now... For some of you ladies, you probably thought that was more special than my wife did, um, because when it comes to these kind of things, even though she appreciates them, even though she likes them, um, giving gifts or receiving gifts is not her love language. And, and that's really the first thing that we want to talk to you about is learning how to speak your spouse's love language. Um, there, there are five different love languages. And um, let me give you the five of them. The first one I already gave you, that is receiving gifts. The second one is words of affirmation. The third one is acts of service. The fourth one is quality time. And the fifth one is physical touch. Those are the five love languages that exist. And by the way, as we're talking, one of the things that you can do is you can text in your questions, okay? And so um, text it to the number that is going to go on the screen. Can you guys get it there? Yes? Let me see. I can't see behind there. It's coming? 10, 9. There it is. So you text, you text to that number whatever question you have, and what we'll do is we'll, we'll stop in the middle of our kind of talk here and answer some of your questions. And they gave me a phone that is supposed to get all those texts, okay? And so we're going to try, but it's got like millions of questions on here from the prior service, so we'll try to get service uh, questions for this service. Anyway, love languages. Um, there are those five love languages, and here's the thing about love languages is that they're important because 
different people receive um, being cared for in different ways. Um, and if you don't speak your spouse's love language, if you just uh, communicate love to them the way that it's natural for you, you may think that you're doing your part, but it's not registering with them. And so they're not feeling the love that you think that you're showing them. So for example, if all I ever did for my wife to communicate love for her, and this is easy for me, I love to give people gifts. Um, by the way, it's not the way that I enjoy receiving love. It's not that I hate gifts. If you want to give me a gift? Please do, right? Uh, but, but that's not the way that love is communicated to me. But I enjoy because of the way that I was raised. I was raised around a lot of generosity. So it's instinctive for me to just give as a way of expressing my love. And we know scripturally it's a way that God expresses his love to us as well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus. And so um, I like to give people gifts. So if all I ever did for her was buy her flowers, um, take her out to dinner. By the way, you know how many times I say to her, let's go out for dinner tonight, and she's like, nah. Like some of you ladies are thinking, Only please, because I please. already cooked. Yes. I already cooked. She already cooked. But yes. a lot of times, because she just doesn't want to go out, she wants to hang out at home. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but if all I ever did was flowers, take her out to dinner, buy her jewelry. By the way, she's told me, don't buy her any more flowers, don't give her any more jewelry. She's told me that, okay? And uh, if all I ever did was that kind of stuff, take her on vacations, all that, I would feel like, hey, man, I am showering her with love. I'm giving her so much love. She, she just got to recognize that I am doing everything that I can to really deposit into this marriage relationship. Truth of the matter is, if that's all I ever did, she would not feel really loved because that's not her love language. Her love language is words of affirmation and quality time. Those combination of the two. And most people are kind of a combination of one or two of these things. One is a real dominant thing, and another one's kind of like an, an extra thing, and those are the things that really speak to them. And not, so for me, what I need to do in order to, to, to meet her at her place of love need is I need to give her this quality time. But I need to not only speak her love language, but the dialect of her love language because quality time to me and quality time to her are to two totally different things. What's quality time to you, honey? Can I back up a minute sure. and say something different than what you're asking sure me? Sure, world. I'm okay. just it right Okay. Now. Well, because it's important to realize that you can appreciate, like I totally appreciate gifts and flowers, and this all looks beautiful, but appreciation is not the same as having your love tank filled. That's the difference. It's not like I don't like this. It's lovely. It's wonderful. But it doesn't fill my, my love tank in the way that we're referring to today. So the, your question again? My question is, what is your love language? And by the way, I like the, the way that you refer to the love tank. That was kind of... Love tank. That was kind of sexy. Love <laughs> Love tank. Wow. Wow. Okay. So, wait, what was your question? <laughs> you see, I still have that mesmerizing effect on her. You see that? Uh, my question is, what is your love language? Um, and, and how is, well, I already answered it, quality time, but what does quality that mean time. to you? So quality time for me would be... Um, connecting more on an emotional level, mental level, where there's conversation, there's understanding of conversation. And by conversation, I mean me doing most of the talking and him listening and validating and agreeing with me because that fills my love tank. I feel understood. I feel heard and I feel complete uh, more than I would if he just handed me flowers. You, you know, what's, what's interesting about that is not just, you know, hearing her uh, not just paying attention, but what she really likes is to know that I, I see it her way, that I'm in agreement with her point of view. And, and that's kind of a challenge sometimes, right? Because sometimes you have different points of view, but for her that matters. And so a lot of times what happens is we keep having a conversation that, that goes longer than is comfortable for me, not so much because I haven't heard or understood, but she's searching for that place of, of where we see it the same way. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. For her, it's important to know that we think alike. For her, it's important to know that we're on the same page. And, and so it's not that she's searching for something artificial or something that, that seems like it's hard to grasp. 
For her, that's, that's yeah, this is my soulmate because we, we see it the same way. That's not always going to happen, and, uh, but it's important to her. That's her love language. That's her version of quality time. And my version of quality time is just for us to kind of sit on the couch together, not even have a conversation, and just watch a movie. And, and you know, just if we're holding hands, by the way, because one of my love languages is physical touch. And so, um, but for me, that's, that, that transcends just intimacy. That is, you know, I like if we're on the couch and she's got her head on my shoulder, or I like if we're walking down the street or in the store, if we're holding hands together. I like if we're even driving in the car where we, we hold hands together. And that's my way of, of receiving love. And, and she, that's not her love language at all. So it is, it is difficult for her to, to uh, get into that space just as difficult as it is for me to get into the space of knowing that, okay, I've got to lock in everything she's saying. I, I've got to be interested in everything she's saying. I've got to ask questions about stuff that seems like just so irrelevant to me, right? And I've got to lock in and focus, and then I've got to find a way to agree, right? And, and by the way, guys, you know you can do this. Right, because we're probably spilling the beans on a bunch of uh, typical husband-wife kind of love languages. You know, you could do this, ladies. Did you ever notice how attentive he is right before romance? <laughs> did you ever notice how how he how much he can agree with you right before <laughs> romance? And so it's not like guys don't know how to do this kind of stuff, but it's a matter of us. Um, I like to say visiting each other's worlds, right? Um, and and this is how you communicate love language. You're intentional about it. So even though it's not my thing and it's not her thing, we need to cross over. We need to get out of our comfort zone, get out of our world, spend some time in our spouse's world so that we can fill their, I'm going to borrow a phrase from you, love tank. Like that. And, and that's all true. Um, and as you, as you do that, as you understand your, your spouse or your um, uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, or even maybe in a friendship relationship, you know, there's a place for uh, putting uh, love language into play. But as you're doing this and understanding the other person, what will happen is you'll mature as well, and you'll begin to understand yourself a little bit more. And you'll be, under, you'll be able to understand the areas where maybe you need to back off and, uh, you know, require less from that person on a particular day or with a particular situation. For example, agreeing to disagree. I've had to learn that it really is okay if he doesn't totally agree with everything that I, I have to say. I mean, I would love that and you really should because, <laughs> I mean, like, why not? But, but if he doesn't, that really is okay. And that comes with time and maturity and understanding and just kind of rising up and saying, you know what, it's better that we're we're connecting. He understands where I'm coming from, but I can back off a little bit with this one and say, you know what? It's all right. It's okay that it's not picture perfect. It's not the way I planned it out for this moment, but that's okay. In other words, there has to be some give and take when somebody is making an effort to try to speak your love language, to kind of visit your world. Um, the worst thing that you could do is some way communicate to them that their effort is just not good enough. Because what you do at that time is you create shutdown in relationship where uh, the other person will just stop trying because if they've tried and it's got shot down, it's tried and got shot down, then why bother trying again? And so even though it may not be perfect, even though it may not be what you ultimately want, the fact that you validate the effort will create a, a better version of it in the future. It'll just keep improving and improving and improving because we really do as human beings work by positive reinforcement, right? It's one of the reasons why God, you know, um, reinforces us with our, our good behaviors more than he punishes our bad behaviors, right? It's because that's something that, that allows us to shine. And so you want to bring that out in your spouse by uh, acknowledging the effort that they've made. You don't have to flat out say, oh, thank you for trying to speak my love language, but, you know, just your, your whole way in which you receive it or the way in which you respond to it is validation in and of itself. And what happens is when you begin to live in that, in that place of visiting each other's worlds and speaking each other's love language, you create a healthy marital cycle. Um, a healthy marital cycle is one of reciprocity. A healthy, a healthy relationship cycle is one of reciprocity. Um, and that means that not only do you give, but you receive. Not only do you give, but you take. 
Um, too many times in relationships, marriage and otherwise, they become one-sided. It becomes give, 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 and take, 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 but never reciprocity. And so ideally what you want to do is you want to, and somebody has to initiate, by the way. And this, I, I like to get up and, and move around a little bit. I can't sit in one place for that long. And the other thing it does is it breaks the monotony of hearing me speak from back there so you don't fall asleep. Okay, and so um, one of the things that, that happens is that um, you, you, when you visit that person's world um, and, and, you, and, you, and you're there with them and you, you spend time with them, you can then, um, you know, retreat and then expect that person to come back. And somebody needs to initiate the process. Um, if your marriage is broken or your relationship is broken, one person has to be the adult in the room. One person has to say, okay, I, I know this is unhealthy and I know we both have retreated to our own corners here and neither one of us trying anymore, but somebody needs to start a new cycle. And, uh, and fellas, I hate to break the news to you, but the greater responsibility is on you. Um, and the reason why that is, and I know we, we, we love to talk about this, we love to talk about how, you know, men are, are the, we, the head of the relationship, the spiritual head of the relationship. In other words, you're, you're given the responsibility to see to it that it's healthy. That's what it means to be, like when you are like the head of anything, that's not glitz and glamour. That's not like license for you to like boss everybody around and, and you know, everybody, you know, caters to your whims. That's responsibility in order to bring out the best in everyone. And that starts with your family. And um, so if your marriage is broken, you need to start that cycle of beginning to communicate um, the right love language so that your spouse can hear that and that cycle could get healthy. You have some questions? Awesome. I was hoping that you were going to bring them to me. Um, let's see. Is this... I'll let you answer this one, honey. Um, here, you read it. Do I read it out loud? Well, how else are they going to know? <laughs> oh, I guess you need to know the question. Okay. What about a husband who thinks it's his right to yell at his wife? Hmm. Well, I think that everybody has probably come into contact with a situation like that. And well, what do you mean by that? <laughs> well, it goes both ways. It goes both. Hey, we're human, right? I mean, we understand what we're supposed to be doing, but it's not always that easy to, uh, you know, a- a- achieve those goals. So it's about mindset. It's about self-discipline and, you know, re- restraining yourself from always saying the things that you uh, feel like you want to say. But what about that? What about a husband that feels as though it's okay? Um, it's not. I mean, the answer is simple. It's not. But if you're in a situation where you're dealing with that, it's not so simple to just tell that husband, well, no, you're not supposed to do that and have him say, okay. And uh, many times the better approach is to seek the peace, not answer back, not argue back, um, be that Christ-like example that we're called to be, which is really, really hard because with all of our being, we want to respond, we want to yell back. Um, if my recommendation in a situation like that is if it's a constant situation, you may need to have a third party sit with you as you go over your feelings on that, and it kind of will help keep things in control. Um, second to that, if you were to wait until your husband was calm and approach him gently and try to talk it through, um, try to find out you know, what his love tank is, what his love language is, so that you can understand, are you truly meeting his need? What is the cause of his frustration? But it's a lot of dying to self. It's a lot of selflessness that has to come into play in a marriage relationship, and it is work. Mm-hmm. We, we had this question in another form uh, during the other services, and basically the question is, what do you, what do, you uh, do when you have a husband who doesn't obey the Word of God? Because nowhere in the Bible does, does it give a man permission to as the question is posed, constantly yell at their, their, their wife. Um, just the opposite, right? The Bible says that um, we ought to love, nourish, and cherish our wife, even as Christ loves, nourishes, and cherishes the church. Now, having said all that, have I ever yelled at her? Yes. Okay, we're not a perfect marriage. Um, has, have there been times when I've yelled and shouldn't have? Yes. Have been, there been times when she has driven me to yell? Yes. Okay, I mean, let's just face it. Like, there's, there's a balance here in all of this. And so what we have to understand is that, that in most marriages, 
it takes two people to create a problem in most marriages. Not in every marriage, right? In, in every marriage, sometimes it's really decided, uh, very evident where the fault goes. But in most marriages, there, it takes two people. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, it talks about when you have a husband who obeys not the word of God, what you ought to do. And, and here's what it says. At first, it tells us what not to do, and then it tells us what to do. And, and what it says not to do is to try to win him by your words, and, and, and this is difficult because women, generally speaking, express themselves through words, right? It's the primary means by which women communicate. And you've heard it said before, I think women speak twice, maybe three times as many words as a man does. And so naturally, when something is wrong, the way that a woman tries to correct that is by speaking words. And so uh, a woman will begin to tell her husband um, what he's doing that's wrong and why he shouldn't do it and, um, and tell him and tell him and tell him and tell him and tell him. And some women will actually follow him around the house and tell him and tell him and tell him and tell him, right? Now, I'm not saying he don't need to be told and told and told and told and told and told and told. I'm not, I'm not in any way defending the behavior of the gentleman because we, we've established the fact that we're dealing with somebody who's not obeying the word of God. So clearly something needs to change in that situation. But here's the thing. When God gives us advice, God gives us advice based on the way that God has made us. And God has made men to respond to gentleness and not to aggression. So, so a man's instinct on aggression is to fight back, right? But a man's instinct to gentleness is to say, okay, cool, you know? And so what the Bible says is the way that you win a husband who is not obeying the word of God is not by your conversation, but by your chaste and gentle spirit. Exactly what she said is, is, is not ratcheting up the, the rhetoric, but ratcheting up the righteousness. And, and not in a preachy way, but in a, but in a watch my actions type of way. Now, we're talking about these things, understanding that we're not dealing with abusive behavior when we talk about these things. Because once we cross into abusive behavior, we're in a new category of how to respond to abusive behavior and what you need to do. And I talk to ladies most of the time when it comes to abusive behavior as if they're my daughter. And if my daughter ever told me that she was being abused, what I would do is I'd basically say, you need to get yourself out of this relationship, right? And so um, we're talking about not that. And let's not put everything in the category of abuse either, because we tend to do that in order to win points, right? We tend to, to, to say, well, that's, that's abuse, and this is abuse. We, we know what abuse is, and we know what's not abuse. And, and having disagreements and arguments and all that kind of stuff, not necessarily abuse. It's just stuff that needs to be worked out in your marriage. And there are ways to do that. And the way to do that according to the Word of God is exactly what she just said. And so um, that's the way we go about that. Does that answer that question? You go like this if it does, okay? <laughs> Let's answer another question, then we'll get back to this. Um, how do you find balance to keep marriage going after having children? You want to start? You start that one. <laughs> um, okay. We started all of them this I'm morning. I'm sorry, I, I like to get up and speak. One. So um, first of all, our opening scripture says that for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. They shall be no more two but one. And what God has joined together, let no man uh, cut asunder or separate. What that basically means is that the number one priority in relationships is marriage. Let me say it again. The number one priority is the marriage. The number one priority is not the relationship with the kids. Let me say it again. I'm going to go over here. Because this is, this is so, so, so important. The number one priority in a family is the marriage relationship. It trumps every other relationship. Okay? Even your relationship with your kids, and let's be real, that sometimes you feel like you love more than your spouse. Right? We don't like to admit that. 
But sometimes we do feel like we love our kids more because it's a different dynamic with the kids. And we think that we're helping the kids by putting them first above the marriage relationship. Truth of the matter is we're hurting them because ultimately then what they experience is a dysfunctional husband, wife, mother, father that begins to impede them as they mature and grow up and gives them an example that they replicate and the cycle of brokenness goes on and on and on and on and on. And so the first thing that you have to do, I think is seems obvious, but it's so important. And that first thing that you have to do is you have to make a decision that that relationship is more important than your relationship with your kids. So some of the things that we did, and you were real good at this, is... Um, we had, as our kids were younger, our kids went to bed early. And, and you were really the, the primary driver of that. I think that maybe your reasoning was uh, not as maybe my reasoning was. Um, we were on a different page. Maybe, maybe your reasoning was she's just very orderly. You know, she likes to, to keep everything structured. And, 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 you know, she has a time that she wants to do stuff and be finished by. And so uh, when our kids were younger, we'd put them to bed by what time? Seven. Seven o'clock. And then it was on like donkey car. No, just, <laughs> um, but in other words, <laughs> in other words, you have to have a, a schedule, right? You, you know, where you, you make time for yourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and in that schedule, you are prioritizing um, your marriage relationship. And then, you know, the other thing that's good is do things as a family, Right, um, that also can can. It's not exactly the same as alone time or date time or something like that, but it also is it gets everybody included in it, and you enjoy that as a family, and it does create bonding um, between the husband and the wife as well. You have anything you want to add to that? And you can feel as though in your heart your spouse is your first priority, but in reality, you know when your children need something. You can't look at that child and say, I'm not going to meet your need because, you know, your father or your mother is my first priority, so I'm going to put you on hold. That wouldn't be realistic. So even though your heart might hold your spouse in that place, life happens, and sometimes that spouse may feel as though you're saying, you know, I don't have time for you because the children need me. And I think that that's a very, very common thing because we do know that children need us, right? And so there, again, communication and having you and your spouse have a level of understanding that, you know, it's not, it's not that I'm choosing this child over you. It's just that this child has a need right now. And we can have a schedule at bedtime where we spend time together and we can talk and we can do these things or we can plan a date night or whatever. Because it appears, if you looked at a family with young children especially, it appears as though it's all about the kids. It's all about the kids because they kind of have, I want to say, bigger needs because it appears like they do. They have more immediate needs maybe, but our spouses have needs too. And again, meeting that need, understanding that love language and being able to creatively come up with ideas to kind of um, elevate that when you can is really important. Amen to that. You're doing good. Um, Let's move on to another topic and then we'll come back to some questions again. And this topic is kind of like precedes speaking the right love language. And it's, it's what you need to think about before you say I do. Because a lot of people are dealing with marriage issues that stem from not choosing wisely. And, and we'll get to what happens if you recognize that's you and how do you fix it from there. But what happens with a lot of folks is that um, we get involved in relationships for the wrong reasons. We get involved in relationships because we love the idea of being in a relationship. And um, again, I'll, I'll make an assumption, a generalization that is not always the case. And so forgive me and correct me if I'm wrong on this because I'm going to speak to the ladies for a second. A lot of times women, when they get to a certain age, 25, 26, in that, in that ballpark, they, they love the idea of wanting to be in a relationship that leads to marriage. And, and if that is not in their world at that time, Oftentimes, they'll just choose whatever comes along instead of choosing 
wisely, thinking that this is, this is long-term. And, and the reason for that is a lot. I mean, women practice for marriage more than men. So women have a certain idea of when it should happen and what it should look like and so on and so forth. And the reason why women practice for marriage more than men has a lot to do with society and culture and expectations and stuff like that. And, and women, um, for example, they, they play dolls growing up and they play house and they, my daughter used to love to have tea parties and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And, and they're doing that. They're practicing for their future where men are playing with power tools and, you know, things like that. Again, generalizations, I realize, but because of that, certain expectations are set, and so we wind up choosing for the wrong reasons. Uh, well, this is the time in my life that I thought I'd be married, that I thought I'd be in a relationship, and so whoever comes along and shows any level of interest in me, even if I see yellow flags or red flags, it's okay because, and watch this, I'll fix them. And, and, and again, a generalization here, um, but, but ladies tend to think that they can fix guys, and, and so what happens is they, they go into it thinking, you know what, I, I recognize that this is an issue, this is a problem, but what I'll do is over time I'll just fix that and then they'll be exactly the way that I really wish they were. And, and, and you're going to speak to this, I think, because you spoke to it so eloquently um, in the first service, but, but um, on what you can live with and what you can't, what you can't live with. Um, do you want to elaborate on that? You talked about that in the first sure. service. Go ahead. Sure. So I, I feel as though, um, I, I feel the Bible instructs us to understand that um, we need to recognize our own convictions and we need to match ourselves up with people who have similar convictions. Spiritual convictions, moral and ethical convictions should not be something that you bend with. That's something that pretty much sticks and um, you, you, you would have to understand that there wouldn't be a lot of happiness in a relationship where those things um, were expected to be bent, where those things were expected to vary for you. But then there's other issues, little things that maybe you can decide, hey, I, I can live with that. Or maybe you're saying, I really can't live with that, but it'll probably change. It'll get better over time. And you might be right. Those little things might get better over time, but they might not. And you have to look at the might not and kind of embrace whether or not you would be okay with that situation still being a thing a year from now or five years from now. And if that's something that you actually would be okay with, because it's small, it's not spiritual, it's not moral, it's not ethical, it's small, it's tiny. And you could say, you know what, if it didn't change, I'd be good. Then keep on keeping on. But if you would honestly say to yourself, you know what, that's a situation that I wouldn't be happy with in years to come. I need that little thing to change now before I can go forward th with this relationship because that's not something that would cause me to be able to be happy. I'd have to end up varying from a lot of my own personal convictions. Because change is, is not something that, especially when it comes to people, right? Even, even after, you, you would think that when people give their life to Christ, and by the way, there are a couple of different things that, that matter when you choose. The first one, and I'll just give these quickly to you, is, is do they have a relationship with Christ, right? The Bible says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Do you know what do not means in the original language? It means don't. <laughs> Some people read that to mean that uh, occasionally there's, there's a reason why this doesn't apply to me. That's not what it means. It means do not. And for everything that she just said in terms of having big things in common versus, versus little things in common and stuff that you can live with and stuff that you can't live without. And so, so Christ is important. Then character is important, right? Um, the Bible says you'll know them not by what they say, but by their fruits, okay? Because during the, the dating relationship, um, what they do matters more than what they say. Because have you ever realized this about people? At the front end of a relationship, people just say what they think you want to hear. But as time goes on, you start to see the real person. And this is why you need to, to, to have ample time to see somebody, who they are, before you enter into lifelong relationship or behaviors that create lifelong bonds, i.e. sex. Right? One of the reasons why you, you don't have sex right out of the gate and why God puts it 
for marriage is because it blurs your vision. It, it makes it impossible for you to really see what you need to see during the relation, during the dating portion of the relationship. And so then you accept and you choose based on stuff that y- is there, but you can't see because you've gone too far to begin with. And so character really matters. You'll know them by their fruit. But then the last thing and the thing that, that Lisa was just talking about and the thing that we want to really uh, hone in on here is things in common. So it's Christ, it's, it's character, it's things in common. And you've heard this before. You've heard that, that um, opposites attract, right? You've heard that before. And so what you usually have happen in certain situations is you have a good girl looking for a bad boy or you have a good guy looking for a bad girl, right? And, and they, they think that that creates this bond Here's what it does. It creates enough connection to go from the bar to the bedroom, but it doesn't create enough connection to go from the honeymoon to a 50-year anniversary, right? And so what creates a connection for the long haul is not opposite. It's, it's commonality, and it's commonality around the big things because, and this gets us back to change, because when it comes to people changing, it's like turning a cruise ship. Most people don't change. Most people, and that can take a long time for that to happen. And so you got to find out are these things that, that you can live with for the rest of your life. And, and you got to get commonality on the big things. And the scripture talks about this, and we, we read it already when it talked about not being unequally yoked together with unbelievers. It says, it ends, it says, for what communion, what communion does light have with darkness? And the word communion there, co-union, common things, things that you can bind together on. Amos chapter three, verse number three says, how can two walk together except they be agreed? In other words, you know, there's this, there's this philosophy even in business that you need people who have different opinions. And yes, that's true. But eventually, in order for anything to be successful in life, you got to get on the same page and walk together with the same vision. Otherwise, you're going to have division. And where there is division, there's every evil thing. So you got to get on the same page. And it's got to be on the, co- the big issues of life. So some of the big issues of life, for instance, are roles. What are your expectations of what your marital roles look like, right? The scripture talks about marital roles, and I'm going to read a scripture here. By the way, you want to jump in and add anything to what I'm saying? Or I'm, You're doing I'm good. Doing? You're doing All good. right. And so um, go, to, go to Ephesians chapter 5 for a second with me. You got more questions? Yeah, bring them up. Ephesians chapter 5 talks about roles. We'll get to those in a second. Here's what it says, and I'm going to read scripture that most people don't like and most pastors are even afraid to read because of the modern culture in which we live and it's almost like this this s word is a curse word but it's not a curse word it's 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 a covering word that's very important listen to what it says ephesians chapter 5 verse number 22 says wives submit to your own husbands oh honey why don't you read this one i felt i felt the daggers uh, looking at me Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Now, just let me back up for a second. Notice the first portion of it. By the way, it doesn't offend me to say that Christ is my head. Does that offend you? Right? Um, I'm not offended at all by saying that I submit to Christ. Um, and I'm not afraid to submit to Christ. I'm not like in fear that if I submit to Christ, he's going to backhand me or that if I submit to Christ, he's going to, you know, tear down my character. I, I feel safe when I'm submitted to Jesus Christ. Notice the scripture says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. This is not talking about submitting to an abusive husband. It's not submitting to a husband that smacks you around. It's as to the Lord. This is why personal relationship with Christ is so important because if you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, you don't know what the picture of what you're supposed to be submitting to looks like, right? And on on the flip side, if you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, you don't know how you're supposed to be the head of something, right? Because the head is not boss. doesn't mean that. Because if you read the preceding passage of scripture to this text, it says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. So this, this particular text is talking about not rank, not who's better than who. Guys, sorry, we're not better than women. We're not more important in God's eyes 
than, than women. We're not smarter than women, okay? Um, that's not what this means. It, it, it simply means that God has distributed roles in the marriage relationship. We're co-equals, co-heirs uh, in Christ, but there are roles. And, and then it says that the husband should, should care for the church or should care for his wife as Christ cares for the church and gave himself or laid down his life for the church. And so the big roles that are being identified here are more than just what position you should play in life, but rather for a man, his job is to be un, uh, undividedly devoted to his wife and his family, that every decision he makes, everything that he does, he thinks of, how is this going to affect my wife and my family? And I need to do whatever I have to do in order to make sure that they have the life that God wants them to have because that's what Jesus did. He died to make sure that we could have the life that God wanted us to have. So that's our role model. So the role for the man is that. The role for the woman is that I need to honor, respect, support, and stand by my husband alongside, not under his feet or over his head, but alongside. So this this scripture talks about roles. But then when you move into things in common in life, what you're dealing with at that point is what are your expectations of what a family should look like? Um, what, what, what are you guys going to do? Are you going to both be income earners? Are you both going to work? And I know everybody says nowadays, you know, it, it requires to. But do you know what we did? Because we, we had a similar opinion of how this should go down. Similar desire more than anything else. She told me when we have kids, I want to be home with my kids. I don't want to have to work outside of the house. She told me, that's my heart's desire. And my heart's desire was to have what most people would call a traditional family. It wasn't because I, I thought a woman's role was to be barefoot and pregnant. That, I have more respect for women than that. I have a daughter who, uh, who I want to succeed and be self-sufficient and all of that kind of stuff. So it has nothing to do with that kind of label on women, but, but I wanted that traditional family. And so our roles that we had defined in our mind was, was similar in that case. And so when we had kids, even though everybody said it takes two incomes, you know what we did? We went down to one car. Was it inconvenient? Yes, it was inconvenient. But we valued something more important than possessions at the time. And so what you have to do is in every arena of life, you have to make choices that, that fit in with your vision and your roles that you expect of one another to play so that you can both move in the same direction. So that's a big issue because if you have in your mind traditional family and your spouse has in their mind don't, not non-traditional family, that's going to be a long-term problem. Also about kids, do you want to have them? You know, um, and, and what is that? How many do you want to have? Do you want to have one, three, five, ten? You know, how many kids do you want to have? What about extended family? Do you want to live near them, far away from them? What kind of involvement do they want to have in your, you want them to have in your life? How do you feel about things? Do you want to have a big house? Are you content with having an apartment? What, is your, what are your aspirations and goals? How are you going to raise your kids? Do you, do you feel like if your kids do something wrong, it's okay to, to spank them on the fanny? Is your spouse going to have a conniption because you spanked your kid on the fanny, right? Now, what does the Bible say? The Bible says it is okay to do that. But, you know, so those are different things for people to have to work out. You have to come to a place where you have agreement on the big issues of life. You don't have to have agreement on whether we should watch uh, football every Sunday. There's no conversation about that. That's just... <laughs> We understand what's going down, right? By the way, do you see how the 49ers absolutely choked away the Super Bowl? I mean, you're up by how many with nine minutes left, and you got a, the best defense that can't hold it down? By the way, he's a 49er fan. I was just saying that for his benefit. Anyway, so does that all make sense? You have to have commonality around the big things. Do you have anything you want to add to that? Well, just that, you know, sometimes when you disagree about certain things, it doesn't mean that one of you is, is right or wrong. There isn't, like, really a, a, a right answer for certain uh, discussions, but you just want it to be the same between the husband and the wife, you know? It's not necessarily wrong for the woman to work. It's not wrong for the woman to not work. 
but you want it to be something that you can live with, something that you can embrace, and something that you're in agreement with your spouse about so that it makes your life easier. That's all. If you have these differences, if you have big differences in your marriage, you can totally work through them. But again, the word is work, and it's a lot of work. So speaking to people who are making their choices, you want to be careful to say, okay, what can I do to make things a little bit easier? Because no matter what, life is work. So you want to have as much commonality as possible to make those things easier in your future. Yeah, because those things set expectation for other things. So let's say, for, for example, you know, um, you both decide that uh, you're going to be uh, 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 working. Both of you are going to work. Well, then let's say you have an expectation that your spouse is going to do X, Y, and Z, but it becomes an unfair expectation because if they're working just as much as you're working, then you both do need to share in home, home things, right? Because it becomes unfair. And how can you expect if both of you are working and that's your life map, that's your agreement, right? So on and so forth. And, and your spouse is, you're putting an undue uh, weight on your spouse. Yeah, you have to work, but you have to also do all the house stuff and you also have to do all the kids stuff. And then you also have to be romantic with me at night. That's hard, right? It's, it's, and you're like, I don't understand. You never meet my needs. But the reason why your needs aren't getting met is because you both don't have a common vision for how things ought to be handled so there can be space for the two of you to meet each other's needs. And so all that begins to impact everything else. And the point of the matter is, if it sounds complicated, it is. Marriage is not easy. Anybody that told you, you know, that, you know, you're just going to fall in love with somebody every, happily ever after, there's going to be no hiccups along the way, is not being honest. You have to work through these things. And having things in common, the big things in common, make it easier. You don't want to add more things to have to work through because life has enough challenges all on its own. Anyway, some, some questions, and maybe I should, should let you deal with this one. Um, what about women that berate their husbands? Hmm. What about women berate their Well, I mean, it's kind of the same answer as the question that asked, what about men who yell at their wives? You know, it's a similar, it's, it's, it's not the way it's supposed to be, you know? And for that man, you know, again, to be uh, calm, to show that, that wife um, love and grace through it, all of that is really important. But at some point, you know, conversation has to take place and that, that woman has to be addressed and has to be told or taught or encouraged that that's not appropriate because clearly, clearly it's not. Whether you're a man or a woman, we do have to watch the way that we speak to other people. You know, the Bible says that, uh, it says, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but that it edifies the hearer. Well, if you're edifying the hearer, you're not going to be uh, berating that person. You know, um, believe it or not, this is, this is an issue that I hear from, from men all the time. A couple of other questions here. Some you might want to take a look at, see if you want to answer any of those. But um, a lot of men um, can get to a point where they feel demasculated. Um, and and what, what that means is that they feel like um, their wife is domineering. They feel like their wife always has to have the last word, so on and so forth. And, and what happens in a situation like that is one of two things. Either a man can become aggressive, right, and, and yell and try to use physical strength to, to get his way. Or what is more common and what is not often talked about is men will check out. And what that means is they'll completely shut down. So there will not be any conversation. There will be a simple agreement with everything. There'll be much of a, you know, a retreating to their own space and not, not wanting to come home, that kind of stuff. And again, you know, um, and this is one issue. Other issue is men who aren't doing what they're supposed to do. We talked about that before. But you, you can get a checkout situation. And that's a common thing for men to have. And, and there comes a point in, in every relationship that if you can't um, work it out on your own, and this is so important, that you're comfortable enough reaching out for some help to get it worked out. Um, and, and it's a shame when, when people would rather shut down and quit on their marriage than reach out and get the help that they need in order to create something that can, from some people's point of view, be um, hell on earth, but when you get it right, a taste of heaven on earth. 
right? Marriage is, is not meant to be a burden. Marriage is meant to be a blessing. It's, it's to have that partner where any two or three of you agree on earth as touching anything that they ask, it shall be done for them by their Father in heaven. And so marriage is supposed to be that place of blessing. And so sometimes, you know, you may need to reach out for help. But I'll, I'll borrow something from, from I'll loosely interpret something that MLK said. He said that you, you can't defeat evil with evil, right? You, you, can't, you can't return uh, cursing for cursing. Matter of fact, the Bible, in the context of 1 Peter chapter 3, actually tells us that. It says, don't return railing for railing or evil for evil, but contrawise a blessing. And so whoever is on the receiving end of behavior that is not okay, and by the way, there are behaviors from men that aren't okay, there are behaviors from women that aren't okay. Whoever's on the receiving end of that behavior that's not okay needs to step up. And the way that you step up is you take the high road, the spiritual road, and so instead of going tit for tat, you go, you know, when, when they go low, we go high. I'm not trying to be political because that is not the case in any political party because if you think one party's going low and the other party's going high, can I just tell you they're both going low? Okay, but it is a true spiritual statement. When somebody goes low, according to the scripture, you're supposed to go high, right? And that's so true in the marriage relationship. And so I would say the way that you deal with that is you go high, you, 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 you bless. Like she said, you, you address, you have a conversation. In a con- First of all, conversations that are heated are never heard. Let me say it again, tweetable right there. Conversations that are heated are never heard, right? Because people just shut down and they start you know, putting their walls up and they're thinking about what they're going to say to respond rather than what you've said. And so you've got to wait for the right opportunity and the right time. And, and over the years, I think you've been pretty good at this. You know, she, she'll wait for that right opportunity and right time to, to have a conversation about, about some things that need to, need to change or shift. Then you can, you can receive those kind of things. And so um, I think that's the way you handle that. Do you see any other questions that you liked? There's a lot of good ones here, and I feel bad to not get to we'll all of them. We'll just do one them. or two more. It's okay if we do one or two more? Yeah? Yes? You don't we'll have to. We'll answer quickly. Yeah, we, can, we can also let you go home. We'll answer quickly. Okay. How do you handle issues with your children when you don't agree about them? So um, I think for the most part, um, we agree on um, the issues and the ultimate end of the issue. Sometimes we don't agree about how to get to the end of the issue. You know, um, uh, one of the things that having commonality in Christ does for you is you, you pretty much get on the same wavelength when it comes to rights and wrongs and what should be done and what shouldn't be done in a particular situation. But what you have to do is what is the most effective way to get the end result? And, and I think that there are times like that when um, you just, there is no easy way other than to talk it through and to agree on a particular course of action, um, to try that course of action. If it doesn't work, to modify that course of action afterwards, understanding that, you know, if, if one person has given and that way that they've given into is not producing, then you might have to bend a little bit and go to the other person's side of it. Um, for me, I've always tended to go with her call on that um, the reason why I've always tended to go with her call, um, I won't say I haven't been unhappy sometimes about going with her call, um, but because of the roles that we agreed upon and the roles that we've lived in, she's been in our kids' spaces when it comes to some of their uh, things that they deal with more than I have. And so she's got more of a uh, an ear to the heartbeat of what's going to make them tick than what I do. And so she, she, can, she can sometimes get a better response. She's more in tune, I think, than I am sometimes about what they're going to react positively or negatively to. Uh, in all honesty, I think sometimes she's way too soft. And I'm just going to be honest with you. You know, I think sometimes she's a pushover. Um, and, and, and so, but... In that sense, you know, deferring and allowing, but, but there are times when, when a little bit of a stronger hand in a scenario is needed, and if so, 
um, there is sometimes a deference to, to jump in there. So does that answer the question? I think so. Yeah? Did I do good? You did good. All right. Um, can we, we'll do one more and then we'll call it quits. Is that all right? All right. Um, oh, you, this is a good question. Um, I'm surprised maybe this is your first time here, but you ought to know this one. And I don't mean to belittle the question. Um, actually, I'm going to a- answer two more. Is it okay to live with somebody without marriage? Short answer, no. <laughs> okay, short answer, but obviously it's an important question for, for some people, right? Um, we have had people over the years who, who come to us and before they're even saved and they're living with one another. Okay, um, they, they, they built a life together with one another and so on and so forth. And um, we encourage them at that point to, to get it right. Do you want to be with this person? Is this the person that, that you envision yourself being with for the rest of your life? How long have you been living together? Blah, blah, blah. Get married at that point. If it's not somebody, that, then you have a decision to make. But sometimes we have to give people a little time and space to grow into things when they're coming in from an a, 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 a unbiblical point of view in order to, to catch up with how God wants us to live. And so we just have to be careful that we don't, we don't condemn people for doing wrong. But, um, and I talked about this last time, there's a difference between what you get out of consent and what you get out of commitment, right? Consent, which is living together, we agree to live together, we agree to do this together, will only take you so far. But it's not as strong as what commitment will do. Right? And, and a lot of times what we like to do is we, we consent to stuff because it gives us a way out. Um, I also ask people who are, you know, have a, a fear of marriage, why? What's happened? Where'd it go wrong? What relationship were you involved in? And then if you're a Christian and you've been a Christian, you already know that it's wrong, right? Because the scripture plainly talks about that. God doesn't want us shacking up. God doesn't want us practicing for marriage or anything like that. And a lot of the reasons why people don't have great marriage relationships is because they, they practice too much. So if I meet somebody and I, and I practice intimacy with them and then I break up with them and then I meet somebody else and I practice intimacy with them and I break up with them and then I meet somebody else and I practice intimacy with them and then I break up again, by the time I meet my husband, intimacy has lost its flavor. It's lost its groove. It's lost its, its, its bonding power. And then it's like not even a thing anymore. Now I have issues in my marriage because I didn't do what's right beforehand. And so, no, it's not okay. The scripture says, for this reason shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cling not to his girlfriend, not to his boyfriend, but to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. And so the scripture is very clear on that, and it also produces the best result. Matter of fact, the statistics show that people who live together do not stay together as long as people who are married together. That is what statistics are showing. So that, that's that one. And the last question, how does the church view divorce? Can we get remarried again? Um, the answer is that yes, you can get remarried again. That's not my opinion. That's the Apostle Paul's opinion. If you, if you read uh, in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, chapter 7, into chapter 8, and so on. It talks all about divorce and remarriage, okay? And uh, first of all, um, when the Bible talks about reasons for divorce, um, it does give um, some specific reasons. It says that, um, in essence, people interpret it like this, that you, you cannot get divorced except for adultery. And so people have assumed that what that means is that the only thing that is a viable reason for people to get divorced is if somebody is unfaithful in the marriage and goes ahead and has sex outside of the marriage. Now, that would certainly qualify as a reason to get divorced, although if you can work through that, God bless you. And um, if you feel in your, in your heart like you want to, I think that's honorable because marriage is honorable in all things. But when the Bible talks about adultery, it doesn't just talk about adultery in terms of sex. For instance, the Bible in the book of James says that when we love the world more than we love God, we are spiritual adulterers. We're obviously not having sex with the world in that sense, but what we're doing is we're putting the world above God. And so adultery can often be a forsaking of one's marital responsibilities 
for the sake of something that is, you've, you've become an adulterer in your marriage relationship. And so it's not an exclusive sex thing. For example, I always tell people, would you expect a woman who is getting a tar beat out of her to stay in that marriage? You're a sick individual if you do. She ought to leave and she ought to leave quick, in my opinion, okay? So um, I, I don't think that, that we can bottle it down to one thing or the other thing. Now, the Bible talks about this. The Apostle Paul talks about three groups of people in the New Testament. He talks about the virgin. He talks about um, the, uh, the, the, the unmarried and the widow. The virgin is somebody who's never been married, right? And basically what he says to the virgin is good to stay a virgin if you can, okay? Because you can give yourself wholly to, to the Lord. He said, but we realize that that's really difficult for a lot of people because a lot of people will be living a sinless life then. And so therefore, if, that's, if you can't live that kind of life, get married. Then he talks about the widow and he basically says to the widow is that, you know, if, if, you're, if your spouse um, uh, dies, um, that again, it's good to stay un, unmarried if you can, but if you can't, go ahead and do it. And then he also talks to the unmarried and the unmarried is a different category than the virgin. It's not somebody who's never been married. It's somebody who was unmarried, somebody who was once divorced, once married, and then divorced. And by the way, do you know what the Apostle Paul, and that's in the original language, do you know what the Apostle Paul says about that group? He puts himself in that group. The Apostle Paul was married, and the Apostle Paul got separated or divorced. How do we know this? The Apostle Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin. In order to be a member of the Sanhedrin, which was the highest ranking uh, 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 position that you can hold in, in the Jewish hierarchy, you had to be married. And so the Apostle Paul speaks to the unmarried group. And here's what he says. He says that um, if you're unmarried, it's good to stay unmarried. But then he says this, but if you can't, it's okay to marry so that you don't burn. And so he gives you the opportunity to get remarried again um, if you so choose. And so in terms of divorce and, and remarriage, um, the highest thing is always to stay married. It's the thing that honors God the most. You should try to work through every challenge that you have. You should not look at marriage as simply a consent thing where you have a back door anytime you want. You should not look at marriage as a contract that you can break at any time that you want. You should look at marriage as a covenant that you are in for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, till death do you part. That's how you should look at it. But there are going to be times when marriage breaks down and divorce happens. And in such situations like that, the Bible, this is not my opinion. You can argue with God about it. The Bible does emphatically give us the opportunity to get remarried again. So I hope that answers the question. Did you all get anything out of this? Was it good? Honey, come here.